This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Well, I think it just speaks to Nicola. I mean, he only took 10 shots. He made them all, um, never forcing it. 15 assists, 19 rebounds. Uh, and, and what's unique about him is that he can impose his will in so many different areas. You know, some guys were great scorers. You know, but Nicola, he can score, he can rebound, he can play make. Um, he can just impact the game across the board. And uh, as we always talk about, just the definition of greatness. That is Michael Malone following the Nuggets' easy walkover win, 130 to 110 over the Washington Wizards in a game that wasn't even actually that close. Nikola Jokic becomes the first player in NBA history to have more than 20 or more than 15 points, 15 rebounds, 15 assists, and shoot 100% from the field. And Jokic finished with 21 points, 19 boards, and 15 assists. Joining us now to talk about that as well as where the Nuggets stand coming into the weekend is our friend Ryan Blackburn. You can follow Ryan uh, over at Mile High Sports where he's covering everything. Of course, he's got the the, the podcast going. He's got the LU podcast. He has his Pickaxe and Roll podcast. He's writing content. He's a one-man Nuggets army. Ryan, thanks for joining us. The play by Jokic is sublime, but the interesting thing to me is the idea that when asked after the game if he felt rested after the All-Star break, he said no. Couple that with Michael Malone's quote of saying that a, the top seed in the West quote is not a number one, a top one or two priority, to be very honest, then how many more games do you think Nikola Jokic might start sitting out? It's a good question. That's that's one that I hadn't even really considered that much. I, I think because Nikola is such an Iron Man, because every, every time you ask him to rest, he basically says no, uh, Denver will try to get him a couple of games here or there, especially towards the, the end of this stretch and kind of maybe they'll get him one in mid-March. Maybe they'll get him one in late March. Maybe they'll get him one in uh, early to mid-April, but probably not a ton until the very end of the season. I'd still expect him to play over like probably about 75 games or so. I, I'm pretty sure he's missed just three so far. So probably looking at a, a couple over the course of these next 20 games and then two in the final couple games. I think people forget that last year, the Nuggets went seven and 10 down the stretch and yes, he was nursing an injury of sorts, but it was one that in the playoffs, he certainly would have played with. Um, I, I was making a point earlier and I came across this today. I'm just looking at the schedules, the top four teams remaining, in the West on, on top. And I think they'll stay that way in whatever order, Minnesota, Oklahoma city, Clippers, Denver of those four teams, Oklahoma city has the easiest schedule remaining. The Clippers have the toughest remaining schedule and uh, the Timberwolves, I think are 20th in degree of difficulty on the schedule and the Nuggets are 18th. So they, they're pretty close, pretty interchangeable. Does any of that dictate the, the, the fact that they're I know in the, in the standings, they're three down in the loss column to Minnesota, but considering the home and road distribution of games so far, Minnesota has a ton of home games left and Minnesota has been real good on the road, a lot better than the Nuggets have been, for example. So it's hard for me to imagine that the Nuggets would catch Minnesota and Minnesota's almost two to one to finish first in the West based on schedules and Oklahoma City 
one of their tougher games they played last night at home and they dismantled the Clippers. So does that dictate, because the Nuggets know all these things too, does that dictate the Nuggets' decision-making when it comes to resting stars that, uh, yeah, finishing third would be better than finishing fourth, better than second, better than finishing third, but they're probably not going to finish first. And really, in the end, what's the difference? The Nuggets are going to be favored against every team they play from the Western Conference side in the playoffs with or without home court advantage. I think that's fair too. I think that if I were, if I were in Denver's shoes personally, I'd be shooting for a target number of wins as opposed to looking at the regular, like the All right. standings. Well, all the time. I, let, let's, let's put a number on it. Let's say 54. Cause that's pretty much the pace they're on right now. Let's say 54 yeah. and 28. I, I would, I would feel really good if I was, what were they last year? 53 and 29. And they want to tie. Yeah, exactly. So what difference like, does it make? It's it's not that much. And and if I, if I were Denver, if I if I was fifty four and twenty eight, or or I think a better number is probably fifty five and twenty seven, where you've played better, like by a per kind of game basis than you had in the in the pre All Star break portion of the schedule. If you're at that point and, and you feel pretty good about the way that you've played, if other teams are in the mid to high fifties or eight or help sixty wins, if you're Minnesota, which they're they're pretty close to that pace, uh, then I I wouldn't worry about it too much if I were Denver. I I would say, look, we we control what we can control. If these other teams want to go hard in the regular season, if they feel like that's in their best interest to go get home court advantage, then that's fine. They they are they are well within their own rights. Uh, I saw something earlier today that Chet Holmgren, rookie for OKC, has not missed a game yet this season. True. And as well, I missed the whole year last year, so he's had he's <laughs> rested year to rest. Exactly. Yeah. So he's he's definitely rested, and obviously these guys are young. Yes. yes. But it's just a different level of pacing, right? Like oh, it's something yeah. the Nuggets have learned from being a, a more veteran team now, where you understand just what it means to be peaking at the right time in the playoffs. And I think that Denver, it's, it's one of the reasons why I don't think that there are going to be that many more 60-win teams in the oh, NBA. Oh, no, no. Maybe Boston. Maybe Boston this year. And, 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 and yeah, Minnesota's got a shot. But I, they, there aren't going to be 65-win teams in the NBA anymore. There just aren't. Now, the, West, just, the West is so much better this year than it was last year. You just can't go for it, no. right? Like. It's, it's one of those things you have to be smart for your team and for your organization. And it's all well and good to have a, a high level of wins during the regular season because it does help you with home court advantage in the playoffs. But the Nuggets know, and they are very confident, that they can go on the road and win a certain number of games and then protect their home court advantage. I, I think people forget last year that in order to go 16-4, and four, Denver did play 11 home games. Yes, that's true. But they also played nine road games and they were six and three. If they are six and three or that level of, or that proportion in their, in their road games this year in the playoffs, then they're winning the title again. I'm going to not really going to spoil anything for anybody at this point. If they are like that capable going on the road, just based off of if they're a two, three, four seed, whatever, then they are going to be just fine. So I don't know if they're going to reach those levels, but even if they're just 500 on the road and they get half of the road games that they play, that's a pretty good number as long as you defend home court. Now they have Portland this weekend and then Golden State, the big game on Sunday. That'll be a, a national ESPN game. 
Golden State looks like they're starting to really turn things around. They go out to the Bay Area to play them. Uh, knowing the way the Golden State, the form that they're playing with right now, how important is that game for the for the Nuggets, who at times when you play teams like Washington and then Portland, it can be a little difficult to maybe get up for those games, especially during these dog days of the season. I presume Golden State's game on Sunday isn't going to be one of those. Oh, I, I'm very curious to see what that's going to be like. Golden State's been playing a, a, a great brand of basketball over the course of these last few, uh, just going over the standings. In their last 10, they're 8-2. and two. Yep. Uh, they've, they've figured some things out. Only Boston is hotter in the whole yeah, league. Like this, it's very – actually, you, you know who's also hotter is Dallas. Dallas is the other team that's won seven in a row. So, like, give got to – Yeah, and they're 8-2. and two. But, You're right. They're 8-2. and two. New Orleans is 8-2. and two. I mean, this is the Western Conference. You've yeah. got New Orleans 8-2, and two, <laughs> Dallas 8-2, and two, Golden State 8-2, and two, and they're kind of – they're not in the top four. None of those teams are in the top four, and they're playing – all of them are playing better than any of the top four teams are right now. Welcome to the damn bloodbath. Yeah, this is the Western is, Conference yeah. basketball. <laughs> it's just, and, just uh, you know, and, and just to make a uh, – to kind of reinforce that, against Minnesota, Boston, Oklahoma City – Clippers, New Orleans, Sacramento, Cleveland, New York, Milwaukee, Orlando this year. The Nuggets are seven and fourteen. But again, my point would be that's the regular season. And when push comes to shove, the only time the Nuggets lost home court last year was in the finals against Miami when they lost game two at home. And they turned around and won two games fairly routinely in Miami. So when they had to win on the road, they did. Exactly. So I, I think this team, nothing has really changed for them, right? Like, especially internally, externally, some of the competition has definitely gotten a little bit tougher, but internally, the team feels very, very similar, knowing that they've got the best starting five in basketball when healthy. They have a couple young guys off the bench that they feel very confident in. Reggie Jackson has played reasonably well within the role that he's been asked to play. And then that's that's just about it. That's that's all Denver really needs in order to go to war. And they, they feel very comfortable about that heading into a playoff series. And we've gone over that ad nauseum. And I, I, I am going to relent on that one because I, I felt that they needed another guy. I felt that they may, maybe shouldn't be as comfortable because of the teams that are on the outside. But they know better than anybody just how good they are. And if they feel like they are good enough, then who am I to judge until we see it? He is Ryan Blackburn. Make sure you give him a follow on social at NBA Blackburn. Like I said, leads lead Nuggets analyst for Mile High Sports. And, of course, a couple different podcasts, the Pickaxe and Roll about the Nuggets and the Alley Oop, the new one about the entire league. The bench performance that we were worried about over the last couple of weeks. Now, it was interesting because it appears now that Michael Malone is starting to get a little playoff ready. They're going with the nine-man rotation. That's what they're going to be doing. Uh, Justin Holiday, not surprisingly, not part of it, but also at the moment, maybe Julian Strouder on the outside looking in. Do you feel that this is about the right time to tune that in? And do you think that perhaps doing it this early is a message to other players on the bench that, hey, if you want some time going forward, it's time to show me right now when you get minutes? Yeah, I go back and forth on it. I, I think one of the interesting things that Denver tried to do last year at around this time was they tried to work in Reggie Jackson and Thomas Bryant mm-hmm. into their rotation. That did not work. That was not good. They, those guys were not good when they when they entered Denver's rotation. And the Nuggets quickly kind of had to go away from that and go back to different lineups and rotations that they were more comfortable with. I wonder if Michael Malone has kind of learned from that and said, you know what, 
we know who we're going to play. We understand what, what it takes in order for us to win these games, in order for us to uh, find the right mix of, of players that we're going to get. And he's basically said, no, we're going nine or, or really eight and a half mm-hmm. between one of Zeke Naji or DeAndre Jordan as yeah. the ninth man. Right. And then they'll go back and forth between those guys. There's how, how, how about it, by the way, Zeke Naji? Naji really was good last night. Really yeah. interesting. To Four see. blocks. I hope, he hope he continues to get some run because that's that could be an interesting wrinkle for Denver if they could at least go to somebody else who's big in the front court. That was my biggest concern heading into the playoffs this year. Uh, but yeah, if, if Denver, if they feel comfortable with their nine, who am I to really judge? Now, I mean, at this point, KCP dealing with the sprained finger, this is where I get a little bit queasy, as I mentioned before. Denver's probably going to start Justin Holiday tonight in place of him. Right. I'm sure they'll start Reggie Jackson in place of Jamal Murray. And then you've got Christian Brown and Peyton Watson coming off the bench. They'll probably go with Colin Gillespie and Zeke Najee as the other nine, or the other eight yeah. and ninth man. Yeah. And I, I'm not necessarily feeling great about it. Uh, and if you're Denver, that's that's not really a surprise. Yeah, but it's Portland they're playing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm 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 still not concerned that they're going to lose. But this is where, if you're Denver, if you really care about the standings, you'll still make sure to get this one. So oh, we'll, we'll sure. See, we'll see what they bring. I, we'll I, see. We'll see what they do. But I I'm I think that they are still right to tighten up their rotation. Julian Strother will find some opportunities, but I'm not really counting on him in a playoff series unless it's a last resort. I want to get back to something we touched on earlier and, and get your impressions. Uh, during the All-Star break, Christian Brown told Sean Keeler of the Denver Post, I've had lingering injuries uh, all year. It's not I'm not making an excuse, but it's been a tough year. Uh, you know, calf, hamstring, thing, ankle, things like that. Maybe both ankles. I don't know. And he said, I went through the same thing at Kansas, and I got attacked on social media, and, uh, you know, he mentioned – that uh, people were saying uh, the year before they won the national title, Kansas wasn't nearly athletic enough. They came back with the same team. They won a national title with a a team of non-athletes. One of the people who said that most vociferously was the head coach, and Brown never let Bill Self forget it. Needled them all the time throughout their championship season of 21-22. Needled them all the time. Gee, coach, I guess we got a lot more athletic over the summer, huh? Uh, just and and they had that kind of relationship where, where self could scream at Brown and Brown would needle self and they they had he sounded just like that Christian Brown over the All Star where he said I'm getting ripped on social media I know and you know my advice to Christian Brown would be to don't read stuff on social media it's ninety five percent garbage anyway but he did say this week off will be invaluable for me I haven't had my legs at any point this year. I'll have my legs coming out of the all-star break. And what he gave you last night, and again, I know it's the Washington Wizards. It's not the Boston Celtics. But I don't believe Christian Brown has had a double-double as an NBA player. He had one last night, 12 points, 10 rebounds. So He's so necessary. He is. He's one of those guys that I've had questions about. And to be fair, I, I haven't really dug too deep into the injury questions with him and whether he. Well, was I didn't know anything major. about it because he never talked about it. But during the All Star break, he made that point to Sean. And Keeler. Sandy's made the argument for for years too that if if you're okay enough to play, then there's not going to be any excuses. Right. You know, it's the old line: if if you play, you're not hurt. If you're hurt, if, don't play. Don't play. 
I, I don't want to exactly. hear after you play lousy, oh, by the way, I'm hurting. And Christian's never been one to ever, ever, oh, no. ever, ever make never. those excuses. Never. Going back to his college days, his AAU days, he has been somebody who has, like, no matter what the situation is, he works through it. He finds solutions for that. He doesn't run from those things. And it's been nice to get to know him and understand just where, where that mentality comes from and understand just what he can bring to the table as a competitor because he's never going to admit weakness like that. And that's, that's a great sign. Now, I think that there's some, been some things skill development-wise that he's needed to figure out, that he's needed to go to. Uh, and, and maybe the injuries have hindered him from doing that. Maybe he hasn't felt comfortable doing I, some of that. I think it's hurt him on defense. Do. I think it's hurt him. Uh, I mean, just go to Rick Patino, right, for yeah. a, 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 an expert analysis on lateral movement. And that's basically what Christian Brown has been saying. These injuries have prevented me from moving and exploding the way I want to, and the explosiveness is, or lack thereof, it hurt him on offense. But I think that the, the injuries compromised him on defense more so than offense, to be honest. And it's I think if he possible. gets his legs back, he'll be he'll be the kind of defensive player he was last year. And for the most part, he was excellent. And Denver needs that. There's no doubt about it. They need somebody who can provide a spark. Uh, Peyton Watson's done a great job of that in his own right, but he's also one person, and and Denver needs more than yeah, one yeah, guy. They, they need more off than the bench. Watson. They they need more than one guy off the bench who can be a spark, who can who can change the tenor of the game, and and we saw it last night where Peyton Watson and Christian Brown both did that, and when when those guys are both playing that oh, way, yeah. it gives yeah, Denver so terrific. much more flexibility. Like both they terrific. have so many more options that they can go to at that point. So four I'm blocks for, for Watson too. Exactly. Four huh? blocks for Watson, four blocks for Najee. Uh, Jamal Murray had a great defensive game. Like these guys are, I think these guys are figuring it out, man. I, I really do. And I think that there's, there's excitement in the air coming out of the all-star break where Denver feels a lot healthier despite the, the KCP struggles. They're in a good place. They are, they're in a good spot and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. He is Ryan Blackburn. Make sure you uh, give him a follow on social at NBA Blackburn. Of course, our lead Nuggets analyst for Mile High Sports, the man uh, doing the, the multiple podcasts, Pickaxe and Roll, the new Alley Oop podcast. You can catch him with, uh, with our friend Swipe, a week as a swiper at times. Uh, he's everywhere when it comes to Nuggets. And, of course, you can catch all the work on milehighsports.com as well. So, Ryan, always good to talk to you. Looking forward to a couple games here this weekend, and we will catch you next week. Thanks so much. Thank you, fellas. Good to hear. All right, I want to remind you, by the way, over at Superbook Sports, we're changing the game. Win some money this season with Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now when you use the promo code MILEHIGH, you'll score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. And that means win or lose. Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code MILEHIGH. You download the Superbook Sports app, enter that promo code MILEHIGH, see, easy, and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. You might not have been ready for it, but baseball season's already more or less underway. The Rockies started spring training today, and they did something that you didn't see too often last year. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Because girls is players too. Because girls is players too. Ladies getting money all around the world because girls is players too. I'll go. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar.
on Mile High Sports. Both offensively and defensively, this is up the middle, and this is a good start in spring training for Brenton Doyle. And as he circles first base, you know, obviously, he's a great threat to run. That, of course, the voice of longtime Rockies broadcaster Drew Goodman from Rockies.TV. The only way you can see the Rockies right now is the changeover for television changes. So you have to go to Rockies.TV to catch that. Put the broadcast on. The Rockies do win their spring training opener 3-0 to zero, over the Arizona Diamondbacks. And uh, in that game, you heard from the single for Doyle. He went 2-4-2. Elaris Montero with a 449-foot bomb uh, starting at DH. A little tough finding a, a position for Montero last year, but the power is there. The Rockies, however, Sandy, let's face it, they're expected to be, well, terrible. And uh, spring training, uh, you know, notwithstanding, I guess it's nice to get a win. They won 50 Nine games last year. Yeah. 59. 59 out of three. Uh, the, I bore witness to loss from, uh, number 100. Right. Which you were hoping to do, and, and yeah, you managed to pull it off. You actually timed that. Off. That's yes. pretty impressive, actually. Well, well, actually, I got a little lucky because they're playing a doubleheader against the Dodgers, and they had 99 losses. They won the first game, which is in the afternoon right. opposite our program, but I was able to get away for the nightcap, and you got which it. is literally at night. And they, of course, lost the second game of the doubleheader for their 100th Well, loss. let's see if you can do it two years in a row, yeah. Sandy, because the problem is ESPN went through its win projection. It may be harder <laughs> yeah, this can year. Can you do a streak? It may be earlier it's gonna, maybe a little earlier. ESPN's win projection for the Rockies is 57, even worse than last year. And keep in mind, last year they were the worst team in the entire National League by 12 games. That is bad. That's really bad. The problem is... They don't play in just the National League. They play in the NL West. Yep. Last year, I, I'm not joking. I double-checked this number. The Rockies finished 41 games out of first. 41. And they're expected to win fewer games. And they should be because here's why. Could it be why. 50 games this year? Look at this. I mean, I mean, the Dodgers have Otani. That ought to be good for a few more wins. Herman Marquez is coming back from injury. Antonio Senzatella is coming back from injury. Daniel Bard is coming back from injury. All three of them have had surgery. Senzatella is not expected to pitch at any point in 2024. Marquez, they're optimistic. They picked up the option, hoping that he'd play at some point in 2024. Bard apparently did not have as serious no, uh, no, of, no, of injuries no, just as training. they expected. But they, they were nervous there was more injury there when they got into the surgery. It wasn't as bad. But, I mean, this team's pitching is a disaster, and moreover, uh, the Rockies also, you can talk about Doyle, you can talk about Montero, you can talk about Nolan Jones, who seems to be their their most talented player at this point. Brendan Rodgers, another year of health would be good. Ryan McMahon is still there. But this team has to put the bat on the ball. Ezekiel Tovar had a very promising rookie year, but I mean, the number of strikeouts that the Rockies well, continually racked up, it was And, and I like Tovar. He's fun to watch. How many times did he strike out last year? What was his on-base percentage? It was below 300, I believe. It, it was disastrous. And when you're talking about a, a team that plays in Coors Field, y- you have to find a way to put the bat on the ball because if you put the bat on the ball, things happen, right? But when you look at this team, McMahon struck out, again, not a joke, not, not many years ago, Sandy, this would have been approaching the all-time record. 
not for the Rockies, for baseball. McMahon struck out 198 times. That's ridiculous. Tovar struck that, out 166. Doyle struck out 151 to only 22 walks, mind you. Jones <laughs> struck out 126. Yeah. Diaz 118 and Montero 111. Six guys with 100-plus strikeouts. Two-thirds of the line. That's disaster. More, more like three-quarters. And here's the thing. Those six guys are all coming back. That, well, that, it's two-thirds because there's a DH. Yeah, that so is the Rockies' core. Yeah, yeah, that's the core guys. All 100 strikeouts. All 100-plus strikeouts. Yeah, oh, oh, and, and, and most of them well over. And Charlie Blackman struck out 55 in only 96 games. And keep in mind, you didn't have Chris Bryant, who struck out 68 yeah, in 80 that's games. Right. He would have struck, out, struck out 100 times. If he Charlie played. Blackman would have come close had they not traded Randall Grichuk. Oh, he, he would have broken he was, it. He was CJ Crone, had he not been traded, would have broken it. Yeah. Brendan Rogers in 46 games at 41 strikeouts. Yeah. And he'd have, uh, if he had played 150 I games, he do not know out. how this team can possibly times. sustain when you have the greatest park offensive advantage in the history of baseball. In the history still, of baseball. Even with the humidor. Even with still the humidor. True. Ever. Yeah. Runs created over average, yeah. no park in the history of baseball. No. Even if you took post humidor Coors Field. Well, that's what I'm saying. Ever. Even with the humidor, it's still a been this advantageous. The best park ever. You have yeah. to have guys to put yeah. the bat on the ball because if you're striking out, you. Go, I understand now as people worry about launch angles and all this stuff that strikeouts no longer have the stigma that they did. But, but 198 is to. ridiculous. I'm sorry. Anything over 120. I think is absurd. And if you're 120, now, I mean, you better be hitting 30 striking. home runs. You better be hitting 30 home runs. And you know how many and Rockies had, had 30 home runs? 80 or 90 times, too. McMahon led the team with 23. 23. So this team has to find a way to, to get this done. The, the batting percent, the you, batting average go was back. abysmal. You go back to 1968, the year of the pitcher, right? Right. Pitching dominated. Kari Ostromsky won the American League batting title, hitting 301. Right. And fans were booing him because he won the Triple Crown the year before and hit 326. And the rules changed okay. after that year. Yes. Yep. But for that year, you go back and look, and you probably had two or three guys in baseball who struck out 100 times. In the year of the pitcher, because there were still, even in a pitching era, which the 1960s was from about 62, 63 through 68. All advantages went to the pitcher. Most of the parks are pitchers' parks, especially in the National League. Pitchers' parks. Places like Shea Stadium, Dodger Stadium. Great pitchers' parks. There was a stigma still attached to striking out a lot. And if you went back, I, I mean, you'll find a few, but you, you're talking about six guys on one team and three With or four other guys, if they hadn't plus. been traded, they'd have struck out 100 times yep. in a Rockies uniform. If they hadn't been traded, it would have been closer to nine or ten. And I'm saying there might have been a handful of guys in all of baseball struck out 100 times in 1968. In the World Series that year, Bob Gibson set what was then the strikeout record for a single game in the World Series. The difference that the challenge here is Against a team that ended up winning the World Series Against the Cardinals, the Detroit Tigers. Coors Field is a different setup because the ball will go out without you even necessarily catching it at its best. And because of its enormous outfield, 
if you even bloop it, it may be a double or a exactly. triple if it lands in exactly. the right spot. Uh, Todd he, Helton he, just goes into the Hall of Fame, and we know Todd Helton was a superior batter. We get right. that. But he spent 17 years in Coors Field. He broke 100 strikeouts one time yep. in 2001 when he struck out 104 times. But he walked 98 times. Uh, well, yes. And he had 49 <laughs> home runs exactly. and batted 336. Exactly. Exactly. His second highest year he, he, that he got in strikeouts, it was 91 strikeouts. The next year in 2002. But that year he had 99 walks. You cannot have five to one Walk to strikeout ratios, which some of the Rockies did, yeah. Tovar and Doyle. You cannot have five or even six to one strikeout to walk ratios and succeed as a major leaguer, especially in Coors Field. You simply cannot because I get it. Everyone's trying to mash. I understand it. At the same time, strikeouts are the only thing in baseball that are just giving away one of your precious 27 outs. Nothing good comes out of the strikeouts. Nothing. Even if, you, even if it's me, a four-hopper to the first baseman, you may advance a runner. Hey, there might be an error. If strikeouts, there, give it away. If there are two out and no one in scoring position, I'll live with a strikeout. If there's only one out or nobody out, I don't care People are on base or not, but it, 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 let's say people are on base. One guy on base. You can advance if you make right. contact. There's a potential you can, for advancing that. You can runner. dribble it. If you back strike to the out. You're not advancing the runner. You're just getting and I, away. I know nobody plays small ball anymore. Or very few teams do. But strikeouts are damaging, particularly in non-two out scenarios. Yes. They are damaging. And I can live with 80, 90 strikeouts, even 100 strikeouts, if you have an accompanying number of walks and home runs. But the Rockies don't have that. The Rockies are the greatest example you can think of of a bad offensive team. They have no power. They strike out a ton. They never walk. And they're poor on the fundamentals. They're a lousy base running team. That's been a Rockies bugaboo almost from the right. beginning of the franchise. They don't run the base as well. Although the most famous Rockies play in history might have been a base running play. Advent, yeah, uh, an opportunistic one, yeah. to be sure. And the guy was probably out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> umpire said he's safe, he's safe. But not a, no umpire in his right mind would have called Matt Holiday out in that situation. But when you look at the teams that had, and we're talking about, you know, it is an era of strikeouts. Uh, no team in the league. Cleveland had the fewest strikeouts in the league last year with 1,142. But you go to the worst. Let's just go to the top five in strikeouts. The Twins, the Mariners, the Rockies, the Angels, and the Reds. No team out of those had fewer walks than the Rockies 447. <laughs> in fact, four of those teams had more than 100 more walks than the Rockies. This team simply doesn't put the bat on the ball. Right. And in Coors Field, that's the cardinal sin. And for the way the Rockies are handling their minor league system, and truthfully this year, we've talked about it a little bit. Everyone likes Bud Black. Great baseball guy. Everyone likes it. We get it. At a certain point, if you see a team that is getting worse instead of better, you have to start looking a little bit up the ladder. When it's not one player, but when it's the lineup, 
you have to start looking up the ladder and ask what they're being coached to do. I thought when Bud Black took the job in 2017 and the Rockies made the playoffs in 2017, and then they came back in 2018 and they made the playoffs again, they had a better team, they won more games, they almost won the National League West. They're in a one-game playoff out in Los Angeles for the division title. They lost the game, but they won as many games over the regulation 162 as the Dodgers did that year. They overachieved massively. I don't know what Bud Black thought about that. I honestly don't to this day know what Bud Black thought about it, but I know what ownership thought about it, and I know what the executives thought about it, and they thought because they won, what, 91 games in 2018, mm-hmm. that that was the baseline then. Right. Right. That was the floor. Without realizing how that hard was that the is floor. to do. And they say, are you kidding me? That's that's beyond the ceiling. <laughs> I, I mean, the, you come back with the same approach, basically the same team in 2019, and, and in the years that have followed, you, you're not going to get anywhere near 90 wins. That, that, that was a combination of unusual circumstances never seen again. The pitching staff stayed healthy. The pitching was superb, and Bud Black helped with that. And I said, for that reason alone, Bud Black's the best manager the Rockies have ever had. But Bud Black now makes a comfortable living, and I don't think losing bothers him that much. I, I, I think he's a very nice guy. I don't know him well. He's a very nice guy. He's better with the media than any other Rockies manager that I can think of in the history of the franchise. Um, there were managers who were maybe a little more outspoken, but he's great with the media. And Yet, I I just don't I don't see anybody out there who hates to lose. Well, I don't see anybody. That is a mental lose. frame of mind. That going out and hating to lose, and and sometimes to get that right, whether you're a professional athlete or whether you're just doing your job or whatever you do, it's a mindset, and you know someone who can help. Absolutely, Doctor Rick Perry is, uh, I believe, the foremost performance psychologist in America. We get our checkup from the neck out here at my, uh, from the neck up, oh, neck out too. Yeah. Um, every Wednesday at 5.30 here on Mile High Sports, uh, I co-host a podcast with Dr. Perea, the former psychologist of the world champion Denver Broncos, Colorado Rockies, and current world champion Denver Nuggets. Dr. P also helps middle and high school kids to reach peak levels. So whether you're an everyday performer at work, at play, or at school, call Dr. P today at 720-287-0933. That's 720-287-0933. Or look them up at Dr. P at think1number4u.org. That's think1for-u.org. And, uh, yes, join us on Wellness Wednesdays for our checkup from the neck up. With Dr. Rick Perea, he's helped me over the past 11 years since I first uh, met him, and he'll help you as well. Four games remain for the Colorado State Rams basketball team, five for the CU men's basketball team, four more for the 11th-ranked women's basketball team up in Boulder. We're going to take a look at the college basketball weekend, getting down to the nitty-gritty on the hard court. We'll do that next on My Life Sports. I'm about to be something they gonna have to catch up so what's up do a leaper 
I'm trying to do more with her than do a feature. I check the web day. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Want to take a moment to remind you that you know the Colorado home market has been crazy for years, but if you've heard it before, you know I know how to navigate it. Talk to my friends David Mark at Key Real Estate Group's Colorado Luxury Home Team. And when we call them Colorado's Luxury Home Team, doesn't mean you have to be in the market for a luxury home. I mean, that sounds nice. Uh, they can handle that too, so go get what you want. But it, what it means is for anybody. You get that high-end luxury service, whether you're buying or selling. You need experts that know Colorado's market and especially how to ride the highs and lows if you're looking to buy a new home. And that means you need experience and stability. That's key real estate group. They're as stable as it gets, 25 years in the exact same offices. So they're the ones that know how this all goes. The lower interest rates are expected to be coming this year. So why not beat, why not beat the competition, get your new home before the buying frenzy returns to Denver this spring? And maybe you're thinking of a new build. Well, that makes a lot of sense, too. There's great incentives out there. Let Dave and Mark represent you and make sure you get everything you deserve. Call Dave and Mark at the Key Real Estate Group today at 720-900-LIST. That's 720-900-LIST. Or visit them at keyrealestategroup.com. Com. Sandy, big games this weekend, bigger for the Buffs than the Rams, but let's start with the Rams who had an opportunity in the pit to make a big statement and win. They just missed. We talked about it yesterday while I was down at number 38 for the pre for the pregame of the Abs Watch Party. This loss didn't hurt them. But not at all. It would not at all. potentially hurt them if they didn't find a way to recoup, bounce back and maybe get it done against a UNLV team, which that's going to be a nationally broadcast game, CBS Sports Network, tomorrow night, uh, out at the Thomas and Mac. An interesting situation because UNLV's 15 and 10, but they've been playing really well. ESPN Analytics says that they have a 68% chance of beating the Rams, but the Rams still favored <laughs> by a point and a half. So How does that compute? Who's right and who's wrong? Would the same effort in New Mexico beat the running Rebs? Oh, I think so. Uh, I think it would. Uh, New Mexico at home is less mistake prone. Um, UNLV is a very talented team that underachieved massively during the non-conference portion of the 23-24 season. Uh, they've been terrific in conference play, 8-5. Uh, and five. Uh, CSU beat UNLV in Fort Collins. And now we'll be looking to sweep the season series at the moment. And again, there are a few games left. Yep, there's four. CSU's in seventh place. Yeah. Seventh. Now. Not only two out of first, but it's seventh. Here's another contradiction, Mm -hmm. seemingly. Okay, they're in seventh place in the league. Joe Lenardi at ESPN.com puts out now every third day, pretty much, his bracketology projections. Only San Diego State is rated by Lenardi as a higher seed than CSU. San Diego State is projected to be a fourth seed. 
CSU a six, Utah State an eight, New Mexico an eight, Boise State a nine, and Nevada a ten. No UNLV, even though six teams are projected to make the tournament, and UNLV at the moment is tied for fifth with Nevada. Now, a week ago, Nevada beat UNLV at the Thomas and Max Center. So I, I I think it's an opportunity for CSU. Um, I think they match up reasonably well against UNLV. But at right now, CSU is seeded sixth. Yeah. They're, they're a sixth seed. They are projected to play out of the south in Pittsburgh against 11th seeded South Florida, one of uh, two teams out of the American Athletic Conference along with Florida Atlantic, which are now projected to make uh, the tournament. And by the way, according to these projections, the winner of that game would play Duke in the round of well. 32. Cross that bridge when you come to it, but they will take on UNLV on Saturday and then their final three games at home versus Nevada, at home versus Wyoming, and Air Force on the road. They could right. finish off with the wins, and as you pointed out, they're in seventh, but they're two games out of first. They could quickly move up. They could they're actually, only they could two hop, games in a loss column out of first. Right. They could hop UNLV directly with a win on Saturday, right. and then they will take on, as we pointed out, Nevada. They could maybe hop over them as well, so they, if they finish well, they, yeah, they got make, Nevada at home. They, yes, and, and they could make a couple jumps. So we'll find out. We'll t- catch back uh, how they did on Saturday, and we'll talk about that Monday morning. For the Colorado Buffaloes, uh, we're not talking about their seedings and how their seedings in the big tournament could drop. We're talking about finding a way to get in it. And they have they have really have to, have to start winning now. They lost, they, uh, lost the previous two to Arizona and UCLA. They come back and they beat USC in double overtime. They get Utah on Saturday. These next three games all at home, Utah, Cal, and Stanford, you have to win all three. Of course you do. Period. Because they're lower uh, ranked in the standings right now than CU is. You've got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat, and especially beat them at home, no doubt. Then the trick is finding a way to get at least one, if not both, games out of Oregon against the University of Oregon, They've already beaten Oregon State's in last place. You right. should beat Oregon State of course, anytime. A couple anyplace. teams have said that this year. And well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> a couple ranked but, teams. But, uh, okay, but it, Oregon State's three and thirteen. Right, in the right. Pack. They're playing well, out the string. Uh, yeah, USC's four and eleven, and Colorado, yeah. to their credit, to their credit, uh, one and zero against Oregon State, two and zero against USC. They have the one home game against Stanford. They don't play Stanford twice. One and one against Arizona State, two and zero against Washington. So they generally done well, except against Cal and Utah, both of whom beat them on the road. So right. the, the teams below them in the standings, they've generally done well. And uh, CSU uh, is in seventh place in the Mountain West. C is in fifth place actually. Yeah, with oh, a chance to get the fourth, and if you get into the top four, you get a buy through the first round of the conference tournament, and that would be a major advantage. But if they don't win four, their if they don't win four of their last five, at worst, maybe you could take the loss at Oregon. They won't be able to climb there. We talked to Tad Boy yesterday, right? And he said uh, he doesn't watch the you know net rankings, which I get. Palm, no point. Bracketology not, stuff. That's not what he it would drive about. him nuts. But for our audience. 
by not playing the last few days for getting the, the entire week open, see you dropped. Uh, the first four out, according to Lenardi, these are teams that wouldn't make it but are very close. Wake Forest, Ole Miss, Utah, interestingly, and Butler. Next four out, in order, Villanova, Drake, Cincinnati, and Colorado barely makes the next four out. That's why they have to win four of the remaining five, Yep, at least, if not all. And they have to find a way to start with Utah on Saturday. After losing at Utah on Friday, uh, the... Uh, Friday a week ago, pardon yes. me, the, the CU women, now ranked 11th, have a huge game tonight. That will be against uh, Southern Cal, ranked 7th. So 11 versus 7 in the country, 8 p.m. tonight for the CU women who are in a standing place to make the tournament. But when they were ranked as high as 4, you'd like to see them see yeah. if they can get hot and make a run for a J.R. Payne's team. We'll pay attention to that as well. Uh, Obviously, a lot to talk about. If you missed the Tad Boyle interview yesterday, by the way, you can always go to milehighsports.com and pick that up or the Mile High Sports app, which is the easiest way to get everything Mile High Sports, not only the broadcasts here, but I th- I think the, Tad the podcast, Boyle, the interviews. Of, the- of all the coaches we know in this area, uh, particularly on the collegiate and major professional level, he's the most honest. The, the story's all of it. You'll get all of it. So check out the interview that Sandy had yesterday with Tad Boyle and check out anything that you missed on the show. If you missed Cody Rourke talking about the Broncos with the NFL salary cap moving up, taking a leap forward, you can catch that. Ryan Blackburn broke down the Nuggets' new plans after Michael Malone unveiled the top seed isn't something he's thinking about. However you listen to us, whether it was FMHD or you were on Mile High Sports or grab that Mile High Sports app, you know, it's free. You can just grab it. Like you have a phone, just pick it up. But anyway, you interacted with the show. We greatly appreciate it. Danny Bailey's the man in the booth that makes everything work. Sandy Clough on my left. I'm Sean Drotar. We'll be back on Monday, of course. So have a safe and happy weekend. We'd love to catch you back. But keep it right here because, you know, it's Friday night. Have a little fun. The Never Spotlight Show is next on My Life Sports. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Get off.